1: Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help and then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the preamble,
0: which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. So, what is alcoholism?
1: Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model, and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places. Prisons institutions or death if you think this sounds dramatic we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true the challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it denial is a major symptom of alcoholism the alcoholic is often the last one to recognize it and admit that they have it our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. Having had the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops, and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, let's meet our guest. I wonder if you'd mind introducing yourself and giving us a quick sketch of who you are, maybe starting with your age and
0: how long you've been sober. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm alcoholic. I am 56 years old and I'm just one week shy of being 21 months sober. Great. And what do you do for a job? I work in communications and marketing. Do you have any family? Are you married with children? Um, I have a partner. I have no children, but he has two adult children. Lovely. And where are you from? I wonder if you could describe your childhood to us. Um, I'm a born and bred Cantabrian. I was born on a, um, brought up on a farm down in um, mid-Canterbury. Lived most of my life in Christchurch, apart from the, the usual jaunt overseas for f- a few years. Um, yeah, had a pretty, I guess, ordinary mm-hmm. childhood and upbringing. I was <coughs> one of a large um, family, um, a quite um, close-knit Reasonably conservative family, but um, very yeah, very supportive and, and stable. Um, came up to Christchurch to study and have um, lived and worked here most of the time since then. So I wonder if, if you could tell us when you started to drink, when was your first one? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I probably had my first drink of alcohol when I was quite young at you know, family functions and weddings and things like that. I think that was probably when I first tasted alcohol. I don't know. I'm going to put a stab in the dark at about 10 or something. Mm -hmm. But it was the usual sneaking drinks behind people's backs at weddings and functions and things like that. Um, Then when I went to university, I probably drank more regularly. Mm-hmm. I was a bit unusual in that my first year at university, people normally hit the drink pretty hard at the start and then study when the exams come round. I was the other way. I didn't drink at the start. And then my last term, I was drinking a lot more. Um, alcohol wasn't really an issue for me for a long time. Right. I also had an eating disorder, and that was where my addiction first showed up. Right. And it to alcohol later in my life. Right. Um, but... Yeah, there were periods at university where I didn't drink for six, eight months. Oh, okay. And that was fine. Then I did, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, yeah, and I probably just became a regular social drinker. I think through those years. Yeah.
1: And how did you drink? Did you drink socially? Did you drink alone? Were you more bingy?
0: Um. In those early days of my sort of late teens and 20s, I was more of a social drinker, really. I didn't drink on my own, but I would drink like in my room or in our flat if there was someone else there we would drink. I I think I was more of a a drinker who would drink on social occasions like parties um, or going out to pubs. I definitely didn't buy and drink alcohol on my own in those younger years.
1: Yeah. And at what stage did did it progress to the point where you started to think this this isn't normal or this isn't my drinking's not like other people's or this is starting to feel like a bit of a problem?
0: It probably for me I would say even in my in my mid thirties I started to think I, I didn't think I was alcoholic at that point but I did start to think I had had a bit of trouble with alcohol and that when I would drink at parties and stuff, I would often sort of drink to excess. Yeah. And um, and I felt like sometimes I would sort of wake up that I, I had blackouts. Yeah. Um, I would find that I would wake up and I would sort of not be too sure of what happened. And because it didn't happen on a frequent, regular basis, I kind of just was like, oh, that's just how it is. And it yeah. didn't worry me. Um it it worried me, but it didn't worry me too much. I just sort of thought that's that's how I react to alcohol. Yeah. But I did have friends in that who, who didn't have blackouts and um and so I was aware that I did have a bit of a different drinking pattern. Yeah. At those stages though, I could still easily, you know, say I'm gonna have a month off alcohol. And prove to myself that I'm not right. I don't have an issue. Because if yeah. I can have a month without drinking then I don't have a problem. Yeah. Because an alcoholic wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. And um and if I can not drink Mondays to Thursdays and just sort of, you know, on the weekends, well then I don't have a problem. Yeah. Um I would drink more on the weekends than probably other people. Um but it still didn't strike me as being a big life issue at that point that came later Um I when I was probably yeah mid mid late 30s was also when I bought my first house and I lived on my own and that probably didn't help <laughs> because then I had no one around to see anything that I yeah, did yeah. so both my I still had an eating disorder at that point and um could could drink more, and I became more secretive in my drinking than the way that I was with my eating disorder. Um, they both manifested in their secretiveness. Right. Um. And yeah, I I I found with myself that the best way not to drink was not to have it in the house. Right. If I had it, I couldn't guarantee that I wouldn't open a bottle. Yeah. And drink it. And that did bother me because I had friends who could open a bottle of wine and have one glass each night with dinner. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. I can not drink during the week, but it's because I don't have any. Yeah. If I have it there, my brain is constantly thinking about it. Yeah. I did. I never picked up the whole the first drink thing, and so I'd
1: maybe think, "Oh well, I won't have any. Or I'll just have one." And then the 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 difficulty of 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 stopping,
0: like I just you know, exactly. I, I just couldn't. The concept know. that people were like, "I'll just have one," because I will put it back in the fridge. I was like, "But I'll have one, but I'll make it a large one. Well, then I'll just have another one. Well, now it's half. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That constant renegotiation that we yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? How did you sort of realise that your drinking was a, was becoming a problem? Were you? Did you lose a job? Did you have strained relationships? Can you tell us about that?
0: Um, I, I was very lucky in the fact that I hadn't blown up my life before I realised. I realised a long time though before I did something about yeah, it. Put it yeah. that way, it did cause. Not strain in my relationships, but I know that I was I was hiding my drinking in some yeah. of my relationships. I would go around to a partner's place and he didn't really drink very much and I would have a little mini bottle in my overnight bag so that I could go into the bedroom and have a have a drink because not drinking on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday was what most people didn't do. Yeah. But for me it was still like but I'd just like still like to have a little and so I would hide that. Right. You know? Um so that was definitely um, an an element, and then I, yeah, I was lying. I was lying to my partner about what I drank. I would try and reduce what I drank when I was around him. Yeah. And then on the nights if I was on my own, it was like, oh thank God the shackles are off because I yeah. could I could control it, but for for not for a long time it was like I can control it now because I know that in two days or three days time I can yeah. have a bottle or whatever, you yeah. know, so I can get through today, or whatever, just by being normal. It, it was in the back of my mind for a while, I, I um, tell the, the, sometimes the joke about how I was watching a comic, a comedy program, and this is probably a good eight years before I really faced up and came to AA, and the comedian made a punchline and was saying about how um, Valentine's Day is coming up, and so you can't go wrong with... Flowers, chocolates, and a bottle of wine, unless, of course, you're dating um, a bulimic alcoholic with hay fever, and I just right. start laughing, and yeah. I and I'd <laughs> realise that's me. Yeah. I'm a bulimic alcoholic with hay fever, yeah, and um, and then I thought, oh my god, I'm a punchline. Yeah, oh, oh, this is me. This yeah. is actually my life, but it's funny because it's so ridiculous. Yeah, but I quickly put that thought in the back of my mind like the word alcoholic I put it in the back of my mind because I couldn't deal with that yeah it was bad enough dealing with the fact that I had an eating disorder and I felt like a failure dealing with being alcoholic as well was just like that was a whole different level Um, and it was it would have been a good eight years that that word floated in my head before I could actually equate it with myself I keep saying I'm a heavy drinker yeah and people, friends would say you can handle your booze quite well because I could drink a lot more than them and seem seemingly be okay the next morning because my tolerance level kept going up. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what about your rock bottom? When did you when did you get to the point where you thought I just can't do this anymore?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I got to that about two years ago, and um, I was my drinking had progressed over yeah. the years, and I was a. a very much more an at home drinker, yeah um, because I wanted to give off the image that I was under control, and life was normal, so whilst I did sometimes drink to excess when I was out, it happened more when I was at home, and my drinking was getting significant to the point that I would be absolutely lie to my doctor because consuming ten to twelve like twelve bottles of wine a week was not unusual, yeah, and then I was moving to spirits and finishing a bottle of spirits in two days, yeah. And it was getting to the point that getting up and getting to work in the morning, I I would be staying up till 12.31 at night because I had all the energy in the world when I was staying up finishing that yeah. second bottle and a half of wine or whatever. And sometimes I would make myself sick after throw, drinking a lot of wine because I was like, I will be so hungover tomorrow. Yeah. I will not be able to go to work. Yeah, It's insane. Yeah. And then I'd still go to bed with a glass of wine just to round out the night. Yeah. <laughs> insanity. You know, they say it's insanity. Yeah. And when you talk about things like that, it is. But it got to the point where I was getting up in the morning to go to work, and it was such a struggle to do it and do all my work and keep it together that I, se- I was like, I'm going to have a breakdown. Yeah. I cannot keep going like this. Something is going to snap very badly. Yeah. Because I just, my, I just can't, because I wasn't sleeping enough, I wasn't eating well, and I was consuming so much alcohol. Um, I was in a relationship. I was worried that I was going to ruin that. Yeah. And that's when I kind of... Th- I, th- this this word that was in the back of my head that I kept pushing away um, kept coming up more and more, and and that's when it was hitting me. And I guess... so. So that for me was really how my rock bottom manifested. And I finally um, made the decision to do something about it. And that was, I had been to um, a memorial service for a friend's husband who had died. Um, and during that, it really hit me that, you know, he had died in a relatively quick time. from, um, and And I was like, Who knows what's ahead? I may only have five years more, hopefully, but I don't want to waste any more of them. Yeah. Sorry, I can get a bit emotional. (laughs) And that really prompted me to think about my life and to think about what I wanted with the people that I loved. Yeah. And I went from that service. And after shopping, to make myself feel a bit better, I went home and drank a bottle of wine. And I actually phoned my partner and for the first time said, I have a drinking problem. And he said, I wondered if you were ever going to admit it. We think we're so good at hiding it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. But again, I would go around to his place because he's not a big drinker and I would think I can have half a bottle of ri- wine around at his house tonight while we're watching a movie because it's Friday. Yeah. But if I have more than half a bottle, he'll be like, oh my God, having a whole bottle. So I would nick some of it outside in the car before yeah. I went into his house. Um, and after I admitted it, to him, I then was like, right, I have to do something now. Yeah, I actually have to do something, and I again tried the things I tried before, which weren't working. Now trying, I'm not drinking Monday to Wednesday or something, and it would be hard enough just to not even have. Oh, I'll just have one bottle of beer tonight then. Yeah, just that. It it wasn't even like it was fulfilling a physical need. It was a mental thing. It was like, I have to have, I have to have something. Yeah, tonight. And um. And I tried that. That wasn't working. Um, I was really struggling mentally to even be able to do that, which I had done easily before. No alcohol Monday to Wednesday, Monday to Thursday. That was really, really hard. Cutting cutting back I managed to do for a while, but it started creeping up again. From the time that I said to him I have a problem within two months, I was back drinking what I had been again and hiding it, hiding the bottles in the garage, hiding them, taking them and dropping them off into other rubbish bins because he would sometimes take my recycling bin out and he had said, noticed how heavy it was. Yeah. So once I'd said to him, I have a problem, well, then I couldn't let him know that I was still drinking as heavily, so I had to hide the evidence. Yeah. And it was getting back to being this situation of just feeling like a shitty person, not only because I had a drinking problem that I couldn't control, but because I was lying. yeah. And I wasn't the person I was pretending to be. Yeah, It was a horrible, horrible place to be. And I'd look at myself in the mirror in the morning and think, you're just a liar. Yeah, You are a liar. You, everything that people see about you is not true. And um, I contacted a, um, a psychologist who, who dealt in an addiction yeah. and paid to see him and try and work through things. Before my first session with him, I had drank a shitload of vodka the night before. because so I thought, what if he tells me I have to stop drinking? I have to get yeah. Him in <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: um, And none of those things were working. And I'd finally been away on a girl's weekend with some family and had fallen down the stairs. And I'd been like, I slipped because they're really slippery. And they were, but the fact is, I was drunk. Yeah. And I was like, this is... This now has got to the point that I, I'm i out of options. And going to AA was honestly the last thing in the world I wanted to do. Yeah. So can you tell us about your first meeting? What was it like?
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, it was emotional. <laughs> um, I, I went along. I had told my sister as well, and she asked her if she would come with me, which she did, and... I'm so grateful for that. I'm not sure I could have done that on my own. And I went to my first meeting and I was sitting there silently crying and the man taking it just sort of said, first meeting, I'm like, yep, need (laughs) parts of tissues. (laughs) (laughs) And I listened to people tell their stories and then I shared, and I was just crying. Mm. And I guess part of it was relief. It was relief to finally openly say, The things that I had done and felt and to actually openly admit them without people being like, I can't understand that. Mm. I can't understand. Why would you do that? Because you're like, yes, I I know. It defies logic. Mm. But people who got it and who could share and I'm like, who could feel my pain and I could feel theirs. And, And I had promised myself that after going to that meeting, I would go, I would dip my toe in. I would see what it was like, but I was going out for dinner and things with friends at the end of the week. And I would have a couple of drinks when I went out with them. And so if I came away from that meeting and it was overwhelming, I could stop on the way home and I could get a bottle of wine. But then people came up to me and started giving me, like, saying, we'll see you tomorrow. Come to a meeting tomorrow. I'll come and pick you up. And then I was like, well, you bastards, you've ruined it. Because now if I go home and drink, then I have to, you know, because I'd said I would go to a meeting tomorrow. So I feel like I have to. And I can't now go home and have a drink and since that day touch wood so far I haven't had a drink
1: yeah so how do you think you've managed
0: to stay sober man um, really I think having other people um, has been the big help for me um, other people like, certainly in those first few months, I was advised to do the 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. Like do a meeting every day for 90 days. And it was really hard because I was working full time and quite a, a job that I had to work sometimes long hours. And you're juggling life. But I, I did do that, and I th- really think that helped yeah. because it kept me busy. It actually kept me away from being at home on my own and the time that I would be drinking. Yeah. And then by the time I got home, I had kind of topped up on that hope and optimism and belief in yeah. my, myself that I had seen other people. They have done it. I just have to get through today, and that's what people keep saying, just concentrate on today. And I'd be like, I'm just going to go to bed tonight sober see what happens tomorrow and then I got to my 30 days and and I'm someone who needs rewards getting those chips that said 24 hours one week one month they were important to me I clung to those it was like I need that reward that shows me I've achieved something and then I just kept going and then after a little bit of time I didn't want to give that away I didn't want to give it back and by that stage I'd started working I'd got a sponsor and started working the steps and that kept my mind busy with AA and, and sobriety so that it, those th- those thoughts of drinking... And they came. They yeah, came. Yeah, But they weren't there on their own, standing there, hitting me in the face. There was something else there that was in strong opposition. And there were people, you know. Um, sometimes I... You know, you have a sponsor... And sometimes having a sponsor is hard because they say things you don't want to hear and yeah. I don't want to speak to her all the time, you know, yeah. and I have to and it's like, Oh God's sake, just leave me alone. But you know, she she helped me so much. Yeah. Um, often in ways I didn't appreciate and I resented at the time. Yeah. She really, really helped me. Having that person to check in every day yeah. really helped keep my mind in sobriety. Yeah. If left to my own devices I couldn't have done it. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. How would you describe your life now?
0: Oh, look, it's <laughs> so much better. I was one of those people who thought being sober, I might as well just dress in black and walk around with a hangdog expression on my face because yeah. I'm going to be one of these boring people who, it's not like that. I have a really good life. I'm proud of myself. I can look myself in the mirror and go, y- you you are working hard to to be a better person. And that is priceless. Yeah. I don't wake up with hangovers. I um, can be in my own space. I, I... have to get through life without anything to take the edge off that's yeah. hard yeah. because normal drinkers can still occasionally go oh it's one o'clock I need a wine yeah. today and I'm like oh, I can't yeah, you, you get <laughs> a walk or a bath <laughs> I, I, had all my, I had all mine in my first yeah. week yes, <laughs> yeah. damn it but, but I wouldn't trade it and I hope I never do trade it because yeah. the um, the peace the being able to handle life the better relationships the being able to look in the eyes of people I love and know what I've said and know what I've done yeah. and and know that they're on my side and it's it's just so so much better than I actually imagined it could be,
1: yeah. Um, Julie, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up at the web at www.aa.org.nz or you can call us on 0800-AA-WORKS. There are over 16 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 530 On Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30. You can also find podcasts of our shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God... Grant me the serenity to, serenity to accept, accept the things, things I, I cannot change, change. I the courage to change the things I can, and, and the, the wisdom, wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcox Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.